Get your Bibles, please, and go to Matthew chapter number 13. I love that song. There is a fountain filled with blood, and I love singing it. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're in our series, The Parables of Jesus, and we're in our second parable tonight, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And we're going to get into this a little bit tonight, and then it's only going to be part one of a message, a two-part message, and then we'll get into the rest the next time uh, we meet together there. Matthew chapter number 13, verse 24. And follow along with me as I read. We'll read what Jesus says about this parable. Verse 24 says, Another parable put he forth unto them. Jesus, of course, is talking to his disciples, uh, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like, um, excuse me, he's talking to the crowd there by the sea. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while uh, men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, The enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together into the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew chapter number 13, we see several parables that Jesus gives in consecutive order here. Our first parable that we studied was the parable of the sower. And Christ is speaking about one sower and one type of seed, but with four different types of soils. How many remember the soils? We had first the what? The wayside. Very good. Thank you, Brother Asperly. The wayside. So number one was the what? The wayside. Number two was the what? The stony places. Number three was the what? The thorny place. Man, you got a good memory. And the last one was the? The good ground. So we talked about that uh, parable. And so we see there the four different types of soil. We applied that parable in this way. Christ is the chief sower, uh, and we are to follow his example, to be sowers ourselves. The seed is the word of God, and the word of God is where the power of God comes from. And we must sow the word of God if we want to experience the power of God in his, in his power in changing lives. Interestingly, the very next parable recorded in verses 24 through 30, what we just read, is also an agrarian reference and, as into sowing more seed. But this time, it's a little bit different. Christ reference, references two different sowers and two different types of seed, if you will. And the consequences of those two types of seeds results into two different kinds of harvests. And so there's a, a, a big difference in the two parables. And so tonight, we're going to try to learn about the sower and the seed tonight and find out what it's talking about. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you. Lord, we ask you, Lord, for your help tonight. Open our hearts. Give us wisdom as we study your word. Help us, God, as we consider the tear and the wheat. Lord, help us to consider our own hearts and what category we may fall in tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So let's talk about number one, if you're taking notes tonight. And did we pass those out, Brother Asprey? Did we pass out the notes? We already did. All right, good. And so if you're taking notes tonight, we have number one, we're going to talk about the sowers. The sowers. And look at uh, the verse here. It says, Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his 
field. Christ begins this parable talking about a man who sows this good seed in his field. The field there could be applied to as the earth or uh, his domain, the, the, the earth that we live here, all, all the people live here, and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so the good man, he sows the good seed in his field. We understand who the first sower is, letter A, it is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. We know that because Jesus says that. Skip down to verse 36 with me. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parables of the tares of the field. This, the disciples wanted to know what Jesus was talking about. And so verse 37, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the what? Son of Man. Is the what? So we know that the first sower is the Son of Man. It's obvious that uh, the life of Christ in his, in his life, his main concern was to plant, to sow the seed of the gospel in his life. And I think that Jesus accomplished that goal because the church began to grow and, and we're here today because of that seed that Christ planted. Luke chapter number 19, verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The primary mission and concern of Christ was to seek and to save those who do not know Him, those who would trust in Him. It wasn't to build a reputation for Himself. It wasn't to overthrow the Roman government. Christ's purpose, His primary goal, uh, of course, to die on the cross for our sins as our atonement, but to plant the seed of the gospel on the earth. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter number 4 with me. John chapter number four, if you're in Matthew, just go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter number four. Aren't you thankful for the Bible? Isn't it a blessing to have a Bible? I love having my Bible. I love hearing the Bible being turned to uh, John chapter number four, look at verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him and saying, Master, eat. What he said unto them, Jesus says to his disciples, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Wherefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? You know the story here. Jesus is with the woman at the well. Verse 34, Jesus says unto them, my meat is to what? Do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is saying my my all in all, my sustenance, my goal, my uh, everything that I need, everything that I am is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look unto the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. And he that reapeth, receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit into life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is the saying true, one soweth, and another reapeth. Christ was sowing the seed of the gospel. And you and I today are reaping this, the benefits of that seed being sown. Think about this. Christ was the chief sower. Uh, I know I've said this before several times, but Christ, his chief concern was sowing the gospel. Uh, there, there was his, uh, of course, his servants, and he was training his disciples. But his main goal, his main purpose on earth was to sow the gospel. Think about this. When Christ came... He sowed the seed of the gospel, him and his disciples, and they launched the church. The seed was sown today, just like it was in Christ's day. The, the, the fields are already white unto harvest. I said the fields are already white. 
unto harvest. This seed has been sown. Think about it this way. The hard work of the gospel has been done. The blood of Christ has been spilt. Sin has been forgiven. The path to heaven has been paid. Sin, death, and the grave have all been conquered by Christ. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. The hard work of the gospel has been done, and yet the fields are white, ready to harvest. There is nothing standing in the way of a sinner coming to the gospel. The harvest time is now. Not in four months, Christ says. Not in four months. Not next year. Not next month. But now we see that Christ came to sow the seed of the gospel. He is the chief sower. We understand the context of the scripture. We'll get into that in just a moment about the Israelites and the church. And, and we understand there can only be one interpretation only one biblical interpretation of a parable, but there are many applications. And so we see the second sower tonight, letter B, is Satan himself. Satan himself. Look at verse 25 with me. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Look at verse 39. Skip down to verse 39. Look at the first part. Jesus names the enemy here. He says the enemy that sowed, uh, that sowed them is the what? Is the devil. The devil sows the tares. It's very clear here, the enemy of the first sower, Jesus Christ, is Satan himself. Make no mistake tonight that Satan is the enemy of God. And we've painted Satan as some kind of mythical creature, some kind of you know, unicorn. Satan is not a mythical creature. Satan is the diabolical enemy of God. And therefore, and he is real, by the way. He's not a metaphor. Satan is not a metaphor. Satan is not a a personification of evil, Satan is a real being. He was a created angel that fell because of pride. Can you imagine? This is a thought I had. Can you imagine this? This is, this is how bad Satan is. By the way, I've been feeling Satan fighting me all day today because he knew I was going to talk about him tonight. But here's, here's the audacity of Satan. In heaven, Satan went to the throne of God and looked at God face to face and said, I want to be like you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be better than you. That is the audacity of Satan. The Bible says he fell and a third of the angels fell with him. Satan is a real enemy of God. Therefore, Satan is your real enemy tonight. He is. He is. He is ruthless. He is deceptive. He is a formidable foe. This act of sneaking into somebody's field and, and sowing the tares while they slept is the kind of being that Satan is. He sneaks in deceptively and he's diabolical. He's not, he's in it to win it. He's not in to hurt. He's in to kill. Satan is trying to ruin your life tonight. He's your enemy. He's working overtime to render the church of God ineffective. And we must recognize his handiwork. We see here that Christ calls out Satan for the work that he's doing. He's doing his best to sabotage what God is trying to accomplish. He did it, by the way, in the Garden of Eden when he beguiled Eve and caused her to eat of that fruit. He did it in Job's life. He tried to stop what God was trying to do through Job. He did it in the nation of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. He even tried to stop Jesus Christ himself when he was on earth and he tempted him in the wilderness. We see that Satan is doing the same thing to the church today trying to stop the work of God. Satan and his demonic horde, because it's not just him, but Satan and his demonic horde, organized and powerful, are working around the world tonight, working around the clock tonight to sabotage what God is doing in the hearts of men, in the homes of Christians. 
and in churches. I just want to remind you tonight that we have an enemy. Satan's diabolical plan to sow tares has been set in motion many years. And we see the results today of tares being sown. Let's get in tonight to the seed. Number two, we're going to talk about the seed. So we see the two sowers. We see the Son of Man and Satan are the two sowers personified here in the parable that we've read tonight. Now let's talk about the seed, the seed being sown. We know the seed is the gospel, but there are two different results, two different seeds that are sown. Look at verse 26. And when the blade was sprung up after the seed is sown, the blade is sprung up and brought forth fruit. Then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? In this parable, there are only two classes of men, two classes of seed or two classes of people. And I would just like to remind each one of us tonight that as the Bible is studied and the Bible is clearly uh, looked at and, and read carefully, we understand tonight that there are really only two classes of people. There are the saved and the unsaved. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're not Calvinists here tonight. If you're a Calvinist, I, I don't mean to offend you, but that's not what we believe. And we don't believe that Christ lined everybody up ahead of time and said, you're going to heaven. No, you're not. You're not. We understand that God, has, God knows everything, and we understand that God has pre-knowledge of what's going to happen. But we also understand that the Bible says that you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. After that, you believe. It's, it's your choice to believe or reject Christ. Amen. Uh, so we, we don't believe in that, but we also understand tonight that there are only two classes of men. There are no third class. It would be wise and prudent for the student of the Bible to think about the ramifications of what Christ is saying. In his economy, there are only two classes of men. There are no third or fourth classes. In the eternal picture here, we understand there are only two choices. There is heaven and there is hell. There is no purgatory. There is no praying someone out of hell. There is no third direction. There is no karma. There is no reincarnation. The Bible says there are two choices. There are two places that a soul goes when it dies. The first class that we look at, letter A tonight, is the tear. We're going to talk about the tear first. In this account, we see this activity of the sowing of the bad seed in someone's field. That's what Satan was doing. And actually, this is a common practice, believe it or not, in this time period. If you, if you studied out, the Romans actually had laws against it uh, about sowing bad seed. And sometimes they would probably go into a competitor's field and sow bad seed in their field and things of like that. And maybe you were mad at your neighbor or something like that or, or whatever. And so uh, we'll show that picture there. If you show the picture of the two, we see here that it's very uh, hard to tell the difference between the wheat and the tare. They're very close uh, as far as not, not being able to see. Uh, the farmer would know uh, right away that it was not the right uh, type of plant, but out of revenge or hatred of a rival, the plant uh, that was sown was called the darnel or D-A-R-N-E-L. They were usually grew in the same production zones as wheat and was a serious weed of cultivation until modern sorting machinery enabled the darnel to be, seeds to be separated efficiently from the seed of the wheat. Similarly, the similarity between these two plants is so great that in some regions, the darnel is referred to false wheat. It bears close resemblance to wheat until the ear appears. The seed uh, uh, here uh, literally is indistinguishable uh, between the wheat. It wasn't until it would grow up into maturity where they would be able to tell the difference between the false seed 
and the true seed. And so we understand the parable a little bit better, why the, 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 the owner of the field would say, don't tear them out now, wait until they grow up, and we can see what's what. And that way, uh, they, they're not uh, torn out together here. And so we see that the darnel, the, the darnel is a noxious weed that can make the fruit of the field worthless unless it is removed properly. Keep in mind that right now, in this present time, in the church age, Satan is sowing tares. I'm going to apply this to the church age, to the, to the, to the age that we're in. Contextually, we know the interpretation of these parables is done to his disciples. He's talking about the nation of Israel. We're not going to get into that very deeply tonight. The parable of this, uh, of this the interpretation is talking about the nation of Israel. We'll get into that next week a little bit more. But the application tonight I'd like to draw from this is an, a very simple application that in the church of God, there are wheats and there are tares. In the church today, Christendom as a whole is very vast. There are many different types of churches. The field is wide. There are many different types of beliefs. And may I say there are both wheat and tares. Sometimes the wheat and the tare sits together in church. There are several aspects of the tare I want you to consider tonight. Number one is that the tare grows with the wheat. The tare grows with the wheat. May I just say something tonight, and hopefully this might help you, but just because something is popular, just because something is measured as being blessed, doesn't mean that it's of the Lord. And all God's people said, Otherwise, Budweiser would be the most spiritual thing out there. Just because something is, has money and just because something has buildings and just because something has a following doesn't mean it's of the Lord. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. It doesn't mean that it's not of the Lord. I know uh, of many churches that, that, that are large and, and doing a wonderful work for the Lord. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we got to be careful of thinking, well, uh, they, can't be, they can't be all wrong. Look at what's happening over there. Just because there's things happening doesn't mean it's the right thing. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, look at verse number 1. Paul is talking to his mentee. He's the mentor talking to Timothy. Look at verse 1. This know also that in the last days, how many believe you're in the last days? Yeah. <laughs> I said, how many believe you're in the last days? Amen. Wave them around like you just don't care. We're in the last days. Amen. He says, the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. How many think that's America? Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That means they don't have any, any kind of loyalty at all. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, High-minded, heady means proud, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Now notice this is interesting here. It says, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captives, silly women, silly women, <laughs> silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now notice this. Now as Janus and Jambres, who are these guys? Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also. These talking about all of the verses above, talking about the truce breakers, the false accusers, uh, uh, those that are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. 
but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs, talking about Janus and Jambres, as theirs also was. In Timothy, Paul goes back to the Old Testament and he uses these two guys, Janus and Jambres, as an illustration to Timothy. These two men, according to Jewish history, these two men were the sorcerers who withstood Moses when they were dealing with Pharaoh. You remember the story? How many of you ever seen the old Charleston Heston, uh, let my people go, you know what I'm talking about? And so Moses came to Pharaoh and he started uh, uh, talking to him. And, and remember, he, he started doing miracles. And you remember that the sorcerers then were able to copy several of the miracles. You remember that? They were able to imitate what Moses did. We don't know how they did that. It could have been sleight of hand. It could have been the power of the devil. We don't know. But we know that they, uh, they copied it. But then there came a point in time where God said, no, sir. And he did something that those men could not do. And then eventually they came to, the, to Pharaoh and they said, look, uh, we're not doing so well here. Our team's losing. And what Paul is saying to Timothy here, he says, just like those people who, who, who claim to have the power of God, who claim to know God but deny the power thereof, they're just like Janus and Jambres. They were a, they're able to copy and imitate some things, but there are some things that they just can't copy or imitate. And may I say, there are some churches and there are some things going on around the world today that might seem like, they have a little bit of a, 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 a shimmer of light. They kind of copy uh, what's going on, what God is doing. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you find out they're not following the scriptures. They're not following God's word. And that's when it's time to run. run to turn, turn away from those things. These men were able to copy some of Moses' power that God had given him. And today, there are many preachers and denominations uh, that have movements that seem like uh, uh, they have some sort of power of God. But the truth is, if it doesn't come from the Word of God, it's not of the power of God. The power of God comes from where? I said the power of God comes from where? The Word of God. Amen? The power of God comes from the... Word of God. It doesn't come from a denomination. It doesn't come from a pastor. It doesn't come from uh, uh, anything else. It comes from the Word of God. And so if it's not found in the Word of God, then it must be false. Today, there are many churches and many things uh, happening around the world today, and they're growing by leaps and bounds. But just because they're growing doesn't mean that it's true. We need to be careful about that. The bad seed was sown by Satan himself with the good seed. My wife and I uh, planted a garden did we plant quinoa? Is that what we planted? Quinoa. Is that right? We, we wanted to grow some quinoa. Was it marijuana? Is that what you planted, honey? Anyway, um, <laughs> we planted some quinoa uh, out in the back there. And, uh, and we planted a pretty good section. Probably, I don't know, probably about, about half the size of this middle section here. So pretty good size section of quinoa. Maybe actually this whole section here in the middle. We planted that whole thing with quinoa. And uh, I went out there and I got my tractor and I got it all nice. The furrow's nice and straight. Got some watering lines there. We planted all the quinoa seed and uh, we wanted to grow quinoa. And how many know what quinoa is? I'm say, I don't know what quinoa is. It, just don't find out. Amen. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. It's good. And so uh, anyways, we, we started watering this thing. We started watching it grow. And, and all of a sudden these plants started coming up. We started getting excited. Yes, quinoa. Woo, we're going to have much quinoa as we ever wanted to have. And so here it starts coming up, starts coming up. My wife goes out, she goes, that doesn't look like quinoa. And it's growing up really nicely. I mean, very uniformly. And it's growing up. And she said, I'm just not sure. 
And I said, well, why don't we pull it all out? And she said, no, we shouldn't do that because we'll ruin this. this. If it isn't the quinoa, it'll ruin the seed, just like what the, the, the story here is. And so we had to let that grow. And, it's, and, it's, and it's sure enough, it grew up large enough, we could tell it wasn't quinoa. It was some kind of crabgrass or something like that. And it grew up. And I'm telling you, this imposter weed has taken over that entire section. There is no quinoa to be found. The other day, my wife and I, we were out there and she was uh, harvesting some other things and, and we're walking through there and I noticed, I looked down and whatever that, whatever that grass or whatever that weed was, it went to seed. And I looked down and my pants were covered in this seed. It just stuck to us and it was in our shoes. You take off your shoe, seed full of shoes, uh, uh, shoes full of seed. And millions and millions and millions of these seeds. And then our cats have seeds on them and the dog has seeds on them. And they're just planting this crabgrass all over our property, sticking to our clothes, sticking to the dog, sticking to the cat, carrying this imposter seed everywhere. That's what Satan has done when he has sown the tares. Much like the imposter weed, it gets into our clothes, gets into our shoes, and it's carried around and sown in other places that we don't want it. So are the seeds of an unbiblical church. And so are the seeds of unbiblical life. Satan sows the tares of the church as uh, those churches that take the penknife and correct the Bible. Satan sows the tares of the tares of a church that values emotional entertainment over biblical preaching. Satan sows the tares of the church that focus on self righteousness rather than his righteousness. Satan shows <laughs> this is, you say this five times fast. Satan sows the tares of the church that is full of the world. I said that is full of the world. And what happens is, is those seeds stick to people. They spread it around. There are places tonight that you can go where churches literally will ignore entire swaths of Scripture, will cut out entire sections, twist, remove, edit, change the Word of God. And Satan has never lacked followers. Desperate souls like these silly women laden with sins, falling for enchantments. These are the tares. Their movement might be large. It may be rich. They might have a great big building and a beautiful edifice. It may be strong, but it can be a tear. They have not grown from the power of the word of God, but they have grown from the power of the enemy and grown up with the wheat. Let me ask you to consider something else about the tear. Number two, not only do the tares grow up with the wheat, but also tares imitate the wheat. They imitate the wheat. More and more people want the good of Christianity but refuse the cross of Christianity. They want the, you know, be your best life now and be your best self now, but they don't want, uh, uh, offer yourself as a sacrifice. They, they want the good, but they don't want to take uh, the other part of it. And, and I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone tonight. Please don't get me wrong. All I'm saying tonight is we want to not just accept the Christ that we think uh, we, he should be, but accept the Christ of the Bible. And so the tares imitate the wheat. The warning here tonight is to us and to our life, your life and mine. May I not imitate the wheat. May I be the wheat. In other words, don't be a pretender tonight. Don't pretend uh, to be something that, that you're not. Be the wheat. You can be the wheat. I mean, like Wheaties. Me neither. Amen. We're moving on here. May I just say tonight, you can fool others, but you can't fool God. You can fool others. I did. I fooled others for years in my life. But you can't fool him. Maybe tonight he's speaking to your heart about that. Maybe he's speaking to your heart. I don't know. Maybe you're watching online tonight. 
and God's been speaking to your heart about that, he sees straight through the veneer, straight to the heart. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says to the Philippian church, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul doesn't say to work for your salvation. He says, work out your own salvation. In other words, it's time to have a little bit of introspection and make sure that I'm saved. Make sure I'm the wheat. The first type of seed we see here is the tares, and I'm almost done. Then the next type of seed, if you will, we see letter B is the wheat. The wheat. Look at verse 38 of our chapter, Matthew 13. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the what? The children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Contextually, we know that the children of the kingdom, believing these are believing Jews, those who trusted Christ, his disciples that were there, that God had put with Jesus there. But we also know anyone that believes in Christ, you and I tonight as Gentiles, we are also children of the kingdom because we have been grafted in. And all God's people said, amen, I'm grafted in, brother, and so are you. Sister, we're, uh, praise the Lord for that. It's wise to examine our own hearts to be sure that we are saved, not according to our feelings, or according to an experience, but saved scripturally. Have you ever examined your heart in this area? Uh, have you come to Christ recognizing that there's nothing good in us? There's nothing good about me. It's not by my own works. Have you ever come to Christ in full assurance of faith, believing who he said he was? Have you accepted that he is God and he is the creator have you acknowledged He is the living Word? He is the bread of life. He is the living water. Do you recognize tonight who Christ is? It's not about my good works. It's not about what I've done, but about what He did on the cross. Have you believed in Him, understanding your need for Him as a sinner and accepted His payment for your sin? Do you realize tonight that going to church and reading your Bible and giving money and praying and even preaching a message like this, they're all good things, but none of these works have the power to save your soul. You can be a terror, T-A-R-E, and do good things. See, I don't believe that. I want to take you to another passage. Go to Matthew chapter 7. I think probably one of the saddest portions of Scripture is Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 23. Jesus, of course, is talking, the Sermon on the Mount. He says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but corrupt trees bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Notice verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a very difficult verse. That's a very difficult verse. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Several years ago, I was door knocking and going, just talking to people, inviting them to church. And I don't remember who was with me, but me and my partner met this lady. And she opened the door. She was probably in her 80s, this wonderful lady. And we were talking and and uh, at first, I thought, boy, this lady's a Christian. She knows her Bible, and, and we're talking. And, and we came to the point, I, I said to her, I said, now, you know, 
we've talked about the Bible. I said, man, you really know your Bible. And, and I said, that's wonderful. I said, do you know for sure that heaven's your home? And she goes, well, nobody can know that. And I said, well, well, the Bible says that you can. She goes, well, no, not if I'm not one of the 144,000. And I said, okay. I said, all right. And so we began talking about that. And I think we talked 45 minutes. My silent partner was about ready to fall over, just waiting for me. But I'm talking to this lady and, and just, just time, moment after moment, I've started realizing how deeply entrenched she was in a false doctrine. And we came to it. We came to the point. And I said, listen, so the Bible says that he that believeth on the Son of God hath life. He that believeth not on the Son of God shall not see life. I said, you must believe in God, Jesus Christ. You must believe that he is God. And she said, well, and she goes into her whole thing about how they don't really believe that Jesus is God. I hope you understand that tonight. And, and, I, and I began to explain to her. I said, listen, and, and so you understand the, the trail of thought here. I, I, I tried my best to, to convince that lady about what the Bible says. Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. I don't rejoice in that. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name, uh, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, what Jesus is talking about is the tares. There is wheat and there's tares. You say, well, how do I know that I'm saved? We'll get to that in a moment. But listen, tares base their salvation on their abilities. They base their salvation on what they can do, not Christ's atonement. Tares base their salvation on their works, not the work of Christ. Tares base their salvation on an experience, not on their understanding of Scripture. Tares base their salvation on a prayer and not accepting what Christ did in their life. You say, Pastor, how do I know? If I'm a wheat or a tear, can anyone know that? The answer to that unequivocally is yes. You can know for sure if you're saved or not. You can know for sure tonight. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think, man, am I saved? Am I not saved? I don't know. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. You don't have to live that way, brother, sister. You can know for sure. Amen. And I thank God for that. You don't have to guess. You say, well, pastor, how do I do that? The simple question is, are you following God's word or are you following man's reasoning? Have you based your salvation on an experience or on the word of God? Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 10. And I'll be done in just a moment. I'm on my last page, I promise. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. The Bible tells us everything that we need to know about salvation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Everything that we need to know how to be saved, how to know for sure we're saved, how to know for sure we're wheat. It's not about what church you go to. Are, are you listening tonight? Uh, I'm glad that you're here. If you're here, uh, uh, thank you for coming here tonight. And, and if you're not a part of our church, we would love, we would love to have you be a part of our church. But if you choose to go to another church, that's fine. Being wheat or a terror has nothing to do necessarily with what church you go to. Look at Romans chapter number nine, 10, verse 9 and 10. That if thou shalt what? Confess with thy mouth. Now Paul's talking to these Roman Christians. He says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou could possibly might be saved. There's a good possibility that you might be saved. That's not what it says. It says, thou shalt be saved. Let's read that verse together. Ready to begin? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, 
Thou shalt be saved. That word shalt in the Bible is like a, is a contractual statement. It's like signing that paperwork when you buy a car. And you're going to pay for that car or they're going to take it back. And so shout means if you ask, if you believe in your, in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe that he is God, that he came, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross and was raised again the third day. If you believe in what Jesus said, who he said he was and what he did, if you believe in that and you can Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, Thou shalt be saved. There's no pass, go, no collect $200. All you have to do is ask Jesus to save you, and you can know for sure. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Paul says earlier in that chapter that the Jew, the Jewish person, has a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They're excited about. Their, their holidays, and they're excited about their laws, but not according to knowledge. They went about trying to establish their own righteousness. Have you ever met somebody like that? They had a zeal for God. They had an excitement. They had an experience. But then when you're talking to them, you find out that doesn't really sound like God. It doesn't sound like the Bible. Just because we have, just because we have an emotional or a spiritual experience doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, I've heard people say, I don't like to put God in a box. I don't like to put God in a box either, but we do put him in this box right here. Amen. Amen. If if it's not here, it's it's not anywhere. Amen. So so tonight, we learned about the two sowers, the son of man and the enemy, Satan. We learned that they're sowing the seeds on earth, and we know that there's only really two types of people. There's those that are the children of God. They followed Romans chapter number 10, verse 9 and 10. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They recognize they're a sinner. They understand who God is. They believe that. That's the wheat. And then there's the tear. Those who are following some kind of other reasoning, some kind of other experience that they have. And may I just say tonight, I don't know everybody's testimony here. But will you examine your heart tonight? And maybe tonight you say, man, I'm a wheat and I know it. I'm a wheat and I know it. Then thank God that you're a wheat tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed.